Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I am Danielle Moody and Wajahat, uh, he's out, you know, doing the most uh, at every single event, everywhere and speaking. So I am on my own today, but not really. I'm excited to be joined by Democratic strategist and founder and CEO of Amara Strategy Group, Atima Amara, um, for us to dig in, you know, frankly, on where we think that Democrats are right now, right? Um, we have essentially two announcements, right? That we know Donald Trump is running for president again for the 65th time. Um, but yet since his announcement, by the way, he has done no real events. So let, let everybody uh, be mindful of that. Uh, Nikki Haley, uh, former governor of South Carolina, has also announced there is speculation all over the place about whether or not Ron DeSantis is going to throw his hat in the ring. My thoughts are that he will, but he's going to wait uh, until the latest possible moment to, you know, ensure that Trump does not build up steam in terms of his attacks uh, on Ron DeSantis, which we have seen, um, but not at the full weight that we've seen Trump be able to go full toddler. So, where I want to start, Atima, is is here. You know, we are looking at Joe Biden, uh, who has not officially announced that he will be running for in 2024, but we know it. Yeah. The first lady has said it. Uh, many other people have said it. And yet you have the likes of Joe Manchin, who has come out, um, you know, recently on on the cable news shows and saying that, well, he's going to see who else gets into the field before he decides that he wants to full throatedly endorse. He's going to wait until December, right. To decide whether or not one, he will run for reelection of his own seat in West Virginia and two, whether or not he will endorse Joe Biden before we, you know, dig in, I just want to get your thoughts on 
the first two candidates for the Republican Party and where you think the energy is or isn't around Joe Biden. Yeah. So I think, well, one, thanks for having me on. Um, And uh, two, I think the energy around Joe Biden is, especially in a rematch, when I talk to other like folks who are active in the Democratic Party or have just got vote for the Democratic Party, that folks are going to vote for Joe Biden because if it's Trump, if it's DeSantis, I think people feel comfortable having seen what we dealt with in 20, that they're like, okay, I feel we, we feel like we know all the things with Trump and we can tackle Trump. Plus we got an insurrection to throw at him that like justifiably like scares a lot of people mm-hmm. um, when they're like, well, maybe I could vote for Trump. Oh, wait, he did try to like basically stoke an insurrection, right? Um, so I feel like there's there's that feeling. I think do, now, I think it's sort of separate from people who are like, do I think he's the greatest candidate ever? Mm-hmm, like that, mm-hmm. There's like definitely people out there who are like, I wish he could do more. Um, but I also don't want to see this like country just go into the handbasket any more than it has and fighting to like preserve democracy. So I think that there's, I feel like I've heard this kind of competing tension of like, absolutely 100% if it's him versus Trump, if it's him versus Sanders, if it's him, quite frankly, versus Nikki Haley. It's not like she's like, any better she's just kind of like like a wolf in sheep's clothing right like right, a nice right, like, pretty right. woman of color i've been governor package mm-hmm. right um so yeah that's where i think that the energy sort of is um and to your second question which is i want to make sure i remember mm-hmm. that yeah question this, that. yeah the second question being you know <sighs> where The Republicans have announced who they have put out. People are kind of on the fence about Biden because Biden hasn't announced yet. You have some people that are on the fence. But do you I mean, here's the thing. The energy level, right, is for Biden, I think. I think it has risen. Right. Over the past over the past, like since the State of the Union, over the yeah. past couple of months, over, I mean, I think that Joe, I mean, you tell me, do you think that he was woefully underestimated? And is there more energy as his poll numbers continue to creep upwards? Is there more confidence and energy around a Biden 2024? Yeah, I, I think so. I think when we saw the midterms, I think had we lost the midterms, Dems lost the midterms, I think, you know, Biden would be fighting off potential challengers because he would say like, okay, we tried it your way <laughs> and it's not working. We lost, like, let's like, let's like try a new, like you know, Bernie Sanders might've been announcing, right? Like there might've been sort of that like feeling of we tried your way. Let's try something else. We're really scared about the possibility of 2024, but the midterms turned out, you know, very good for a sitting president mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know the red was, wave did not happen like the red wave did not happen as much as it was projected it did not happen i think in large part we can thank you know the overturning of roe v wade really lighting a fire under people that this fight to preserve democracy these people aren't going to stop really lit fire under people's butts but i definitely think that not happening helped Biden a lot and then he, he gave people were had lower expectations for i think for the state of the union going in because it's not usually this sort of 
political rally speech. It's supposed to be more of here is the state of the union um, in sort of a sober manner, and then you're done. And he used it uh, as a way to juxtapose himself on many issues, some of which he'll never be able to work on in the next two years because of the situation with the House. But that he's reminding people, we've done these things. Oh, and by the way, you know, if I have the power, uh, you know, to expand voting rights and all of that in the, the legislative sense, that's still on my agenda. I'm still going to be doing that. So that was very much of a, this is what you can expect from me still if, you know, you reelect me as president without announcing, you know, for the running again. And and juxtaposed against, you know, the likes of Marjorie Taylor Greene standing yep. up and screaming liar. Right. right. And 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 the clown car of that Kevin McCarthy was trying to shush behind shush. the scenes. Yeah, I think I jokingly said on Twitter, oh, I wish for the days where it was just like one member of Congress yelling liar to like, I guess it right. with Barack Obama. And it was like a, a scandal. But now we're at the situation where we have like multiple because she wasn't the only one mm-hmm. just heckling as a member of Congress, the president of the United States. It's like, yeah, this is where we this is where we are. <laughs> From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that forced David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Act Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities. Healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country. Immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun. And candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. You know, and it's it's a it's a wild place because like you, right? I've spent so many years in this space, in yeah. politics, in policy. And, you know, there was a certain uh, deep amount of pride that I had as a child of immigrants, as a as a queer black woman, being able to work on Capitol Hill yeah. uh, for a member of Congress, being able to then, you know, lobby on issues that I thought were important to the American people you know, being a public servant, wanting to be of service. And I, and I want to ask you before we shift gears, you know, what, how do you feel these days about your chosen field and industry? Yeah, it is, uh, 
<laughs> I think we've talked about this offline as well, but I definitely have struggled as well. Similarly, child of immigrants, you know, believed in this democracy that it wasn't perfect, but it was worth fighting for, it was worth working toward and proving all of that, worked on campaigns, worked for a governor, you know, worked, you know, nonprofit organizations, advocacy, all like you. And, you know, this last few years has been a struggle. And it's been a struggle yep. because you are watching all of the things you work for getting eroded rapidly in real time. And they're like, you have your own piece of the work that you can do, but it's still like somebody described it, I think at the, like close to the 2020 elections, like, you know, for all of, they said like for all of the concerns or complaints I might've had about Hillary Clinton and wanted to push her to be more progressive, like I'd have rather that than what we have now, because I feel like, and this person was like a black woman or something. She was saying like, I feel like I'm organizing while the walls are closing in at the same time. Yes. Like yes. I, and I'm like, that's yep. exactly how I felt. Like, you know, 2020 was literally like a, oh my God, like I have never been more stressed out of my entire life. I, some people drink, some people smoke, whatever, which is managed stress. I eat a lot of desserts. Like I just eat, like I just like subsist off of cupcakes and like all the sugar. And I have never just consumed so much. Like I knew somebody who is like a coffee addict and she's like, I burned a hole in my stomach, like doing political work like in those final days of the election. Like her doctor yeah. was like, eh, yeah. no more coffee for you. Like, because we were, we all knew what was on mm-hmm. the other side. If Biden, if we didn't win this election, if Biden didn't win, if we didn't get the Senate, if we, we knew what was on the other side. And so it's just a different level when you're like, I disagree with this person. I don't want them to have office. I will fight my entire life against them, against like them being in public office, but literally to feel like, no, this one's for existential. The existential. Yeah. 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 And I, I think that that that's kind of the difference because I, you know, I'm thinking back, you know, I, I, I long for the days of the Bush administration, right? Like I never <laughs> thought in life I would say that. Right. Like I literally long for the days of W and Dick Cheney lying about weapons of mass destruction and going to war with uh, not the country that bombed us, you know, not the country that that that, you know, put up a terrorist attack. And costing tens of billions of dollars, I long for those days. I long for the man that flew over Hurricane Katrina victims. Right who didn't really, who didn't at the time when Kanye West still had all of his marbles, didn't give a damn about black people. I long for that man. Yeah. Because where this, where the Republican party has devolved to and where we are, where every election, Atima, every election is existential, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I, you know, I was sitting on pins and needles like, not watching the blow by blow ticks of the midterm elections because emotionally I really couldn't handle it. I I was like, I'm gonna wait for it all to be tallied. Y'all let me know in a day or two. Right. Like I'm not watching election night used to be a fun time. Time. Right. You know, particularly in Washington DC where when I lived there, it was like, where's the party? Right. right. And it was, and it was a good time. And now it's just like, no, you're hiding under your covers with your doors locked you know, waiting for the results to come in. Um, so I, I want to talk about, too, the other thing that really is concerning me, 
which is I'm not quite sure that Democrats have learned a strong enough lesson from 2016 and 2020. What do I mean by that? Republicans have the same playbook that they have been using since the Southern strategy to scare white people into believing that they don't need to do anything for those white people. They just need to make sure that they are punishing and harming black and brown and queer people, right? right? All the people that they don't like. It doesn't matter if you have any more money in your check, right? Any more food that you can put on your table. So long as I blow up the home of the person down the street, right? I like that on fire, then you're good. And, you know, their numbers have grown, right? 75 million people still voted for Donald Trump in 2020. Yeah. This is after he put kids in cages. This is after he called African nations shithole countries. This is after all of the things that he had done. 75 million Americans. He actually brought more people out to support him. So there were people who watched the last four years and were like, God, I love that. I want to support that. I want to like get new people who came out to support him in the numbers. And I'm like, what? So I'm like, are we like, so what I say is that Democrats, while fear is something easy to sell, Democrats don't seem to still be able to convey the existential threat that Republicans are imposing. And I want to get your thoughts as to one, do you agree? And if so, why do you think that that is? Yeah, well, I think it's a couple of things. It's it's sort of like what happened right after Roe was overturned. And then everybody's just, I mean, I was, I think I was like watching SCOTUS blog and then tweets at the same time. And then I saw the news and you knew what the news was coming, but like, mm-hmm. it's still just harder to see it actually written out. And, you know, everybody's raging, screaming. And, you know, a colleague I knew was like, went and vomited. Like she was just, it just was just the, the range of emotion. I mean, like, I, feel, I, didn't I even, feel it. Yeah. I didn't even think I was going to cry. I started crying. I was, wow. And the first thing was outside of statements and whatever was them standing on the Capitol, like it was nine 11 and singing God, I think it was God bless America. They were singing one of the, one of the mm-hmm. America the beautiful, one of those songs. And I'm thinking, okay, nine 11 was such an unprecedented, you know, global terrorist attack. Like, and especially when at that point we didn't know what happened or whatever, that seemed like the most appropriate thing if just to comfort and show unity between mm-hmm. parties and all of that. That was a appropriate response. Because at that point we didn't know what to do. We had like we were we were standing there fighting for our lives, like not understanding who it was we needed to defend ourselves against. Mm-hmm. Here the yep. the offenders were clear. They had flags. <laughs> they had flags with the names on it. I know, right? The offenders were clear. Like Roe was overturned by the Supreme Court because of a particular party that was against reproductive rights and abortion access specifically, but eroding all things. We are here because of their actions and their work for the last 40 years. You have control of, at that point, of the House and the Senate and the White House. It should not, to me, people, the reason they were so frustrated was like, we don't want a song. Like, we want legislative action. We want executive orders. We know Donald Trump would have done 
that at the very least, when he didn't have control to do anything when he first became president, he's like, executive order this, executive order that, to the point like mm-hmm. Ellie Mastala, I remember reading, he was like, half of these are so badly written that they can't even be applied, but he still does something and people are like, he's doing something. And we know yep. Biden's got a crack team to do stuff on the executive order side and what can he do with the House and what can he do with the Senate? So there was frustration about that. And I think to me, that defines a lot of what folks are feeling is that you see this horrible thing, you send out the statements, you ask for our donations, but it's like, what are you doing? Doing. Right. What are you, what are you, what are you doing to, you know, somebody said books are getting banned. What are we doing? <laughs> like, you know, there are passing all of these, you know, anti-trans, you know, anti, you know, the trans and non-binary youth, like banning all of this stuff, the care, gender affirming care. What are we doing in response besides issuing a statement and asking for a donation? Like, you know, it, it was, it's just, I definitely feel that. And when you see that happening, you know, when you see lives truly being affected, when you see yep. folks in Texas being like, you know what, we're going to like pack up our lives, quit our jobs and move to another state so that our, our kid can get the gender affirming care that they need. Like, like, what are we doing? And I think that's where we are at, at the moment. We're past sort of like just throwing comments at a debate. It is, ex- it is existential because it is. It's affecting, it's affecting people's lives in a way, in a deeper way than ever before. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I mean, you know, if you watched CPAC a couple of weeks ago, you would think that America is a hellscape, right? right. Because, of course, because their vision, right, the Republican vision of what they see of America, even in um, uh, 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 Sarah Huckabee Sanders' response to the State of the Union, yeah, was this dark, dire, horrible Landscape. country that is being overrun with wokeness and this, that, and the other thing. And it's just like, I ask you, like, what do you think that their constituency when they go out of their front door? Right. Like, are they being, att- are they being attacked by M&Ms in high heels? Like, are they being attacked 
by gas stoves. Like, because these are all of the things that are coming off on Fox News. We're at war with wokeism because yeah. we want all, because small print, we want all of you to remain asleep. Yep, literally. Want you to remain asleep. And they have bought in or enough viewers have bought in, like people who watch like Fox News religiously or, you know, think Sarah Huckabee Sanders is the greatest, are the folks who like think that these are existential threats on their lives. Like being in Virginia when the 2021 gubernatorial election happened and folks, you know, are literally on TV saying CRT is being taught in schools and it would be these older white folks who haven't had kids in school in decades. Mm -hmm. Where are you hearing this from? Well, I heard it from somebody else. And it might be a story about a kid coming home saying, am I bad because I'm white? And I'm like, let's take a step back here. <laughs> like, did you dig deeper about why the kid asked that? Because maybe they learned something in school about, oh, slavery or something else in history. And they're like, oh, that was terrible. And they're trying to process that. And what they needed was an adult to tell them to, to confirm the history of our country and how you can be play a part as a young white kid in, in making it better and making it better. Right. That that is likely in these stories when I've heard this is what happened because CRT is not being taught, first of all, in K through 12 schools. But it is this whole like my kid is made to feel bad about themselves or there. I think I remember there was a woman. Uh, she was the commercial for Glenn Youngkin on CRT said her kid was traumatized by the bluest eye. I was. <laughs> I was. It's a it's a deep like like serious like reflection and tale about how racism affects especially it's darker skin it's how mm -hmm. anti-black people that's what that story is about it should admit you should not be laughing when you finish that story you should be sitting there in silence one at the beauty of her words but also in understanding truly what like racism anti-blackness specifically does to people in this country and they don't they don't want to sit in their discomfort you and I, That's people it. like us, like our, our folks who have been forced mm -hmm. to sit in our discomfort all the time. Mm -hmm. When they said that parents are worried about the education of their kids in school and they highly focus on white parents all the time in those interviews. Mm -hmm. I'm like, honey, I know a lot of, I know a lot of black parents associations that have formed because they are concerned about the content of what their kids are coming home with from school. Yep. Like, like that slaves are being taught as like migrant workers, enslaved black right. people are migrant workers. Unpaid, that, un, uh, like unpaid interns. Unpaid interns, right? They're being concerned about how their kids are being tr treated in class, especially when you have your kids now at home because of the pandemic and you're hearing in real time how the teachers are speaking to your kid versus somebody else's kid. So- you know, that is that is what we're seeing here is people who don't want to sit in discomfort of their of their understanding where their privilege and where it where it is in, in this society. And rather than using that to work together to make a better America, it's like, well, y'all are wrong. Y'all are evil. We're going to fight you. We're going to ban all this conversation, all this talk. And it, it's just like, okay, I, wow. I just don't know when we were told that history is supposed to make us feel good. Right. Right. Like yeah. the, the point of history is not to make you feel good. Right. It's supposed to give you context 
to how we yeah. arrived at the moment that we're in. Right. right. It's supposed to give you a better, a better understanding yeah. of how this country was formed, who right. had the ability to form it, whose ideas and values were considered, and how that affects you now to in this present day that you were living in. Right. I, I never understood the idea once once Ron DeSantis is passing his white discomfort bills. That the whole legacy of America was about making overtly, I mean, I know it, uh, I know it uh, subconsciously, but overtly was to make white people comfortable. Because yeah. I said to myself, as a former educator, if I'm teaching young people history, civics, right, and they're feeling bad about themselves, there are a myriad of white people in our history. Why is your assumption as a parent that your child is going to identify? with the slave master and not the abolitionist. Right. What, what are you doing what are you, at home? What are you, what are you doing? How are you teaching and having these conversations? Right. You know, I've got number of friends who grew up in, you know, white homes who like literally say how their parents had the conversation with them and, and said like, this word is not appropriate or blackface is not appropriate or, or, or these things. Cause there was like, you know, always in Halloween, I've seen it less, but that doesn't mean it stopped. Where like blackface at Halloween was always mm-hmm. a thing. And we wanted to tell people about it. And I, my friends were like, my parents were like, Blackface is offensive. We don't do it. Like, don't assume that all white people. I was like, right, because some white parents have had the conversations with their kids about what is not okay. What is what is not what is what is being anti-racist, right? Even if they didn't know it was being anti-racist, right. That, right. that's what they were doing in the in the teachings with their children. And lots of folks just like you know, either it's like, oh, it's too hard for me. I don't know how. To do it or I don't want to sit in my discomfort again discomfort and so I'm just gonna like leave it I've seen like with well-meaning in the reverse not even just with parents and children but I've seen it with like adults you know with their older parents and Mm -hmm. they realize Mm -hmm. their parents are radicalizing or their elders are sort of radicalizing and they weren't like this when they were younger and I'm like okay well what have you done about it well Okay, well, we can't. This is how we got where we at. I'm not trying to say that it's like on, like it's like it's it's like absolutely your fault that we're all this way, but it's a collective thing, y'all. This is a collective thing yes. that we're doing together. It was like, a collective decision to say that we don't talk about religion and politics at the dinner table. Why right. wouldn't you talk about polit- politics? Why why was it impolite, considered yeah. impolite, right, to talk about these things and debate to debate issues outwardly? Right. Right. So you understood where people stood. Right. right? And where their value set was. Right. And to correct somebody who all of a sudden now says something about like, I don't know if you've seen or if you've last seen when you've last seen American History X. But I always think of that last very last scene in the movie where he's looking back at the moments in which he slowly became radicalized. um, Edward Norton's character. And he remembers the time he's like a young boy at the, at the, at the dinner table. And he, cause he was like, my father was a racist and none of this and what of that. And then he comes home and he's making jokes about black people over time. And he realizes he was just slowly sort of absorbing that so that eventually he was like a gateway, but it was just like a comment his father made about, he called affirmative action 
black shit, right? Affirmative black shit, right? To say like, oh, it's only black people who benefit from this. They're getting ahead of us because he was frustrated with something that happened at work. And then eventually it became to where he was referring to black people by the end, like the N word. And it was like one of those last scenes of the movie. And it was supposed to impart on us that it doesn't have to be that the your father was a member of the clan. It could be yep. small yep. things that they do or they're absorbing and that they're saying. And what did you say when that happened in that moment? Like, did you say, hey, you know what? That that's not cool. <laughs> well, let me explain like oh, that's a problem. Uh yeah. 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 I mean, I think that what we are seeing right now didn't happen overnight. Yeah. Trump wasn't even the catalyst for it. He was a symptom of what yeah. had been brewing because we refuse to teach history because we refuse to meet our history with the acknowledgement, the seriousness and the gravity that it deserves. Right. And so it has been able to be dismissed. It's been able to be whitewashed. It's been able to be that, Oh, during black history month, we lift up five black people that white people find acceptable. And that's who we quote the entire time. Right. Right. And so I think that, you know, last question for, for you is, What do Democrats need to do in order to meet Republicans on the battlefield of the culture war? Yeah, I was thinking about this when we we talked about what that would look like. And the first person that came to mind, and she does it well, it's not like she's the only person who's done it. But I do think that there needs to be there needs to be black and brown messengers on it. And there always has been. You've got the Anna Presley's of the world. You've got you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you have all these members of Congress who are, are people of color who are already saying and have been beating the drum. We just know that they are not listened to for obvious and for <laughs> obvious reasons. Right, right. Um, namely being the people of color, like saying that the oppressed people aren't heard. But um, uh, Mallory McMorrow. Yes, she was, she, was a, she was a guest on the show. Yes. yes. You know, white woman... Mm-hmm. Look at her, Christian, suburban, supporter of abortion, all of all of these, you know, she's progressive, progressive can be in her district. And, you know, I understood why her speech kind of took off when she just finally was like, you know, went to publicly like lambast one of her colleagues who was trying to say she was a groomer. And she said, let me tell you why that's dangerous. And she said, I realized and the other thing she said in that speech that I found was so powerful was like, she like could, you know, sort of demonize me. And it was important upon, it was important for me specifically as a white Christian straight mm-hmm. woman to call her out and why I needed to do that. Why, what she says is dangerous and why we need to name that. And that's what I think more Democrats who are in the, in their positions as, yep. as white Democrats to name that as elected leaders, as party leaders, and not just all right, well, it'll go away because thinking it will go away or pivoting off of it or Mm -hmm. not challenging it or not discussing it. One, voters can see that, right? They'll, they'll see that and be like, okay, well, obviously it's not a priority to you and, and be demotivated because I think we have a younger generation of voters who want to see that. But also like, this is how we got here by not actually like ever confronting that not just before we would like try and meet them 
where they were in trying to mm-hmm. compete with these white moderate voters and oh and, you know oh okay well maybe affirmative act not saying affirmative action isn't great but they would say well, let's not talk about criminal justice reform in these ways mm-hmm. let's not say the word abortion in these ways like let's not talk about lgbtq rights in, in these ways and like no we need to defend what a multiracial democracy Yep. looks like a tolerant one, a just one, an equitable one. And it's not their vision. And we will fight them on it tooth and nail. And it can't just be in a state. It has to be said. And it has to be said in unison from our leaders. That's what I, I think will people will respond to that. And they have. But when, when elected officials actually give vo- voice to that, as we saw from Mallory Mamura, and she's like a like an official out of Michigan, never thought she'd get the internet, like national, yep. international almost attention that she got. But she got it because people want to hear that, right? They want to hear a fighter. Yeah. They want they want to hear a fighter and they want to hear people fight back. Atima, I, I could talk to you for forever. This has been such a rich conversation. Please tell people how they can follow you. Yes, you can follow me on what exists of Twitter. Um, <laughs> Atima underscore Amara. I'm on Twitter, um, Instagram, um, same Atima underscore Amara as well. And I know some folks have gone over to Mastodon and posts and I'm there as well. So Wonderful. Friend, thank you so much for taking the time to join Democracy-ish. We appreciate you. Um, that is it, dear friends, for Democracy-ish. We will be back next week and Waj will be here if, in fact, we have a country left. <laughs> Inshallah. Inshallah.